Well, good morning. Today we uh, enter into uh, the last Sunday of our series that we've been in for the last number of weeks, a series called Body Parts, as we have been looking at what it means to be the body of Christ, uh, to be the church, to understand and to know uh, what our gifts are, how do we discern those gifts, and also how do we use those gifts uh, in the body of Christ. Uh, One of the things, uh, as we conclude this series, I want to give you an opportunity to do is... uh, to ask questions, and maybe there are ongoing questions that you have, and I, at the beginning of this series, invited emails that are there. Uh, there's a text, uh, or a number there that you can text, a cell phone that you can text, and, and today, if we have time at the end of the service, uh, I might even respond to some questions if you want to text some during the service, uh, just to have a chance to, to pick up on those uh, at the end of the service today, if we have time. If not, we'll do it uh, on Facebook throughout this week, so one way or another, we'll respond uh, to those. Today is also... Uh, a second run kind of uh, event at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Uh, last week, uh, Pastor Harry uh, started into this uh, text of, of chapter 13. And when we were looking at the series and all that is contained in that chapter, we wanted to have uh, two Sundays focused on that chapter. And when Harry and I were talking, we felt that rather than breaking it up, we would each just sort of encompass and look at the whole chapter and obviously would come at it in, in different ways. And so last week, Harry... Uh, looked at it and and from the perspective of how we are hardwired for love and and just that idea that God has created us and hardwired us uh, for love. And so we'll pick up on that word again, obviously, as it it comes through in this text over and over again, that that idea of of what love is. And this chapter has often been called the love chapter, uh, as you probably know, for good reasons. There's, I think, about nine different times when that word is used in these 13 short uh, verses. Um, and it's a word that, in my mind, it needs to be redeemed in some ways. It's a word that uh, has been co-opted of something, uh, so many words, I think, have been co-opted into our culture in different ways and, and made meaningless or, less, or at least less meaningful by the ways that they have been used, by the way that they are understood. And so, it's a word that I think has to be uh, redeemed back to its original form. I think the word redeem itself also has to be redeemed uh, because it's, an, it's one that also is not really understood well in uh, today's times. It's, what redeem means is to buy back. It means to repurchase. It means to free from captivity, to pay ransom, to change for the better, to reform. And in a theological sense, it means uh, to be free from the consequences of sin. So here's this word that's at the very core of the gospel, this word redeem, and yet most people understand it as just something that you do with coupons or something like that. So anyways, I'm, I'm getting uh, digressing a little bit. But love, love is the word that needs to be redeemed. And so today we want to do some of that and come back at this word and, and realize that it has been a word that's been messed up in many ways. It's been relegated to just a sexual act. It's been relegated to meaning, well, just sort of soft, fluffy things or emotional kind of things. Or it's, you know, what you say when you, you know, state a preference for something, like a product, you know, I love Coke or something, you know. Um, and so love obviously needs to be redeemed, bought back, brought back to its original intention. And I think that's uh, some of what we want to do here today. Because those other definitions, those other common understandings that we often hear or sense or see today are none of which Paul was intending as he wrote this letter inspired by the Spirit of God. Paul had none of those in mind. As, as the Spirit of God is speaking through him and as he's teaching about the centrality of love in the context of spiritual gifts, uh, he intended 
for us to understand that love is an absolutely critical piece. It's so central to understanding how it is that we understand and use spiritual gifts in the church and how it is that we are the body and this idea that love is absolutely critical for the spiritual gifts to make sense in order to build the church to glorify God. And so in a biblical way, I hope that we will redeem this word in some measure today. The title of the message today is called Love Works. And for a whole variety of reasons to understand that love is a verb, uh, not an emotion. It is something that requires action and response and sacrifice. The word that is used there is the Greek word agape that comes through again and again. And it's speaking of a very selfless, sacrificial, unconditional love. And in the different Greek words that were used for love, it is the highest one, the one that is the the ultimate one in terms of uh, what it meant in that context and also what it means for us today. And in this context, we see that it has a divine example of God's love, and we'll, we'll look at that here today, and of our response. And so, love is what makes everything else work when it comes to spiritual gifts and so many things. When some people look at chapter 13, and I encourage you to turn there in your Bibles or on your phone or however you look at Scripture, and uh, we want to walk through these verses, or at least many of them again here today. But a lot of people sometimes approach chapter 13 as sort of, well, okay, now Paul's talked about spiritual gifts in chapter 12, and then he sort of says, okay, now that's enough of that. Now let's go on to the things that that really matter. Now let's talk about something completely different, and let's talk about love which again is not at all what uh, Paul intended uh, and not at all how we should understand this chapter. As we see that this chapter is kind of wedged right in between two other chapters in chapter 12 and chapter 14 that continue on and talk about spiritual gifts and teach about that in all kinds of different ways. And right in the middle of it is this chapter 13 that speaks about the importance and the implications of love in terms of spiritual gifts. In September, we were in a series called Foundation, and it was based on 1 Corinthians chapter 3, which is just earlier in this letter, a chapter earlier on, and the central text there being verse 11, which talked about how there is only one foundation, which is Jesus Christ, and how we are called to be builders and gardeners and to be involved in in, in work in the church and in building the kingdom of God, understanding that God is first and we are second. But at the same time, this idea that Jesus Christ is the foundation. And I think in a very similar way, chapter 13 is Paul saying the same thing when it comes to spiritual gifts. He's saying, here's the foundation. If you want to use your gifts, understand your gifts, be a part of the body in the body of Christ, and, and so on, and understand that you have to build it on a foundation of love. Because this is the whole essence of who God is. This is the very nature of God. This God who loved us so much. And, and again, we will look at various texts that point this in that way. So I really see chapter 13 as, as so foundational about the love of Jesus that uh, gifts are built on that. It's the context that allows them to make sense. So just walking through the first uh, three verses here, Paul says, If I could speak all the languages of earth and angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but I didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, 
I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Yet, take a minute and just look at some of those gifts that Paul is speaking about in this text. It's astounding. He's saying, you know what? If, if I understood all languages of the earth and even the languages of angels, if I understood all of them, that's incredible. I don't know about you, but I'm a person who is, you know, firmly rooted in one language. I speak English. And uh, it's, like, it's a challenge to get that right sometimes. And I remember even being in France recently uh, on our trip that we've talked a little bit about and, and trying to enter into that culture and respond in the proper way. And so, you know, a waiter would come by and give me some food and I would say, oh, yes, gracias, gracias. And it's like, oh, no, 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 no. That's the other language that I don't know. And then it's like picking up on Spanish, and instead of saying, you know, you know, saying si, si, instead of, oh yeah, not we, we, that's right. And, and, and thoroughly, you know, doing a terrible job of, of even whatever it was that I knew of French. But just really being humbled and recognizing that, okay, I, I really just need to stick to my one language and try to do that better. I remember meeting some people on that trip who actually spoke six languages, fluently, six languages. That's astounding to me. And then here, Paul is saying, imagine, imagine that I could speak all the languages of the earth, all of them, and the language of angels. That's an amazing gift. And then he says, but you know what? If I don't love, it means nothing. That really puts it in perspective. And then he he goes on and, and he says, if I have prophetic gifts so much so to the point that I understand all of God's secret mysteries... So I understand all of the secrets of God's plans. All of them. Really? That would be an astounding gift, wouldn't it it be? But Paul says, if I understood all of God's secret plans, all of God's mysteries, all of the knowledge of God, if I understood all of that, but if I don't love, it means nothing. Incredible. And he says, he goes on, he says, you know what? I mean, that that person would be the smartest person in a room. And so you don't have to think too far to know that, okay, even the smartest person in the room who knows all of these things, but if they are not a loving person, it really doesn't matter. It becomes very irritating and like a clanging symbol is what Paul's saying. He says, if I had huge faith, so much faith that I could move mountains, literally move mountains, that my faith could take this mountain and move it over here. But he says, if I don't have love, it doesn't mean anything worthless. He says, if I sacrifice so incredibly that I give everything that I have, all my earthly possessions, and I give it all to the poor, and I even sacrifice my physical body and allow it to be burned up, if I give all of it, but I don't have love, he says it doesn't mean anything. When I was reading those examples again that Paul gives, it was just astounding to me the point that he is making about how love makes everything work. And without it, nothing works. And he says, these things don't matter because love is more important than great faith, extreme sacrifice, miracle working power. power. Now, it's not that they don't matter, but they don't matter if there isn't love. Because it's love that makes them matter, it makes them useful, it gives them traction. And so that is the point that Paul is making and driving home so pointedly. You know what else struck me interesting is we've been looking at these texts and we've made reference to a number of them and in a variety of ways over this series. All of these 
uh, texts that speak and give lists of spiritual gifts in, in Romans 12 and in 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4. Each of those chapters have some lists that are given about spiritual gifts. And we've touched on most of those at different times. What's interesting, if you look at all of those texts, either immediately preceding or immediately after the lists of the gifts is a section on love and the importance of it. And again, this, this point that, that Paul is making that without love, these things aren't that significant. In fact, they can do more harm than good. And so if you just look in, in Romans chapter 12, if you flip there in Romans chapter 12, verses 9 and 10, uh, immediately following a list of spiritual gifts that are given there, uh, Paul says this, verse 9, don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good, and love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Right there, right immediately following his list of gifts, he says, you know what, don't just pretend to love people, really, really love them. In Ephesians 4, uh, in that uh, chapter, there's a number of lists that are, there's a list that is given of a number of, of spiritual gifts. And right away in verse 2 at the beginning, he says, always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. So again, he gives descriptors of what love looks like. And he says, here's what's important as you think about these spiritual gifts. First Peter chapter 4, you turn to that uh, text. First Peter chapter 4 and looking at uh, verse 8. Paul says this, no, Peter says this. He says, most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. And again, immediately preceding a listing of spiritual gifts. So in each one of these texts, 1 Corinthians 12, we have a whole chapter of 1 Corinthians 13 wedged right in the middle of this discussion. So each one of these brings home this point that love is so significant. And the good news in all this is that even though different people have different gifts, as we've been talking about through these weeks, and your gifts are different than my gifts are different than the gifts of the person beside you, how nobody, nobody has all of the spiritual gifts. But the good news is this, is that, that love is accessible to everyone. Not only just uh, in terms of the ability to give love to others, but also, as we will see today, this ability and this gift that we can receive love, the love of God, that is available to every single one of us. Let's turn back to our uh, text in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and, and continue on looking at verses 4 to 7. So Paul, he goes into uh, this section here. And again, think about it in the context of spiritual gifts. And Paul is, is speaking about how it is that we express love to others. So how do we give love to others? And he makes some really, really tangible points here. He says, love is patient and kind. It's not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It doesn't demand its own way. Love is not irritable, keeps no record of being wrong. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and, endure, and endures through every circumstance. And again, this, this text is often used in the context even of a marriage ceremony. I've used it at different times. And, and appropriately so, as it's, as it's speaking in the broad sense of what of what love really is. But in context here, he's speaking specifically in the context of spiritual gifts. So now think of these things in terms of how people use those gifts, giving very practical ways of how love works when it comes to using our spiritual gifts and being actually body parts in the church. Because it's patient, kind, not jealous, boastful or rude, doesn't demand your own way or get irritable, doesn't keep score. 
doesn't stand around with injustice, but rather celebrates truth, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through all circumstances. I mean, those are powerful and practical ways of how you show love. I mean, that's challenging stuff, but it's life-giving. You take this into any relationship with other people, whether it's coworkers or a spouse or a friend or parents and children or whatever, and you start to walk these things out in those relationships, it will change and transform that relationship. And Paul, in the same way, is saying, as the body of Christ, as the church, as you use your gifts and you figure out these things, and again, remember, he was speaking into a context where they were having lots of challenges because people were discovering and exploring their spiritual gifts, and there was there's kind of a wake behind some people, and there is lots of splatter going on, and he says, don't forget, you got to love each other. This is what it looks like as you do these things. And sometimes people have said, you can take that, the word love in this section and, and replace it with the word Jesus, as Jesus is the ultimate example of God's love, and how Jesus was patient and kind and not jealous or boastful or proud or rude, not irritable, keeps no record of being wronged, doesn't rejoice about injustice, but how Jesus rejoices whenever the truth wins out, and on and on. And I think it points to us an example of how we follow in this as we look to the modeling of Jesus Christ throughout Scripture, of how he lived this out, of how he embodied love and was love, and how this love and truth together was so uh, important as it talks about in this text right here. Jesus never compromised truth, but he loved people unbelievably. And sometimes it was some pointed conversations and some challenging things, and and he would convict people in a whole variety of ways. But when truth and love are kept together, true community can really happen. I think that's what Paul is talking about, is when these two are together so tightly and so intertwined, then true community can really happen. And this is when the, the body really works, the body of Christ. One uh, author uh, says this way, and I've always liked this quote. He says this, Worship is telling the truth about God. Confession is telling the truth about ourselves. Counseling is a process of helping people deal with the truth. And in the end, we have no other activity but speaking and living the truth in love. He's talking about in a Christian context. And maybe overstating that in some ways, but this this point that, that truth and love need to go together so much so as it says in this text and again how love is not just soft sentimentality jesus he got pretty upset in the temple when people were turning his father's house into something that it was never intended for when he confronts people in sin he confronted them but he did so with love very much so and so again it it models this for us and it says to us when it comes to how we live in community and how we be the body parts We don't just simply look away when somebody is struggling or destroying their lives and the lives of others, whatever that might be, whether it's substance abuse or something else. But the body confronts to seek help and says, you know what, the status quo is not an option. Something needs to change by the grace of God. So sometimes tough love is required as we are body parts together and wanting to be the body. I think of truth and love also being so necessary when it comes to intellectual honesty. And again, even on the, the recent trip and being in, in the country of Turkey and in Istanbul and, and being in all of those places where the Muslim faith is so prevalent there in so many ways, and it just struck me again how, you know what, to have intellectual honesty 
when you have these opposing religions which say very different things, both cannot be true. And so somehow we have to be honest with that. And in our current era, we see tolerances that we, well, you know, you just sort of say, well, everything, your truth is your truth and all truth is okay. And yet you see in Scripture and what Jesus teaches that, no, that is not the case. In fact, the very definition of tolerance is that truth is, or that contradiction or disagreement is implied. And this idea that, you know what, I love you even though I completely disagree with you. So even when it comes to that, we have to be honest about that and say, someone is wrong. And somebody, we, let's go and explore truth together. And spiritual gifts in the context here, this whole thing of, of truth and love together again. Love is not saying to somebody, well, you know what, you need to be just like me, as we've been talking about. Or you need to speak in tongues, or you need to have a gift of leadership, or you need to love administration, or love junior high kids, or do whatever else, or whatever the case may be. No, no, no. Paul's saying, because when, when we do that, if you put people into those boxes and expect everybody to have the same spiritual gifts, that's not loving at all. Loving is recognizing that people are different. God has created them differently, given different gifts in the body, and it's together that they are all there, all that we need. There's a book that I have referred to in the past as well. It's a book by Joel Mamby, uh, and it's called Love Works. And it comes at this in a similar way, and he is the CEO of uh, Hershen Family Entertainment down in the States. And he was a, an author, a Christian businessman who was wrestling with how to lead as a CEO and how does he take scripture and have it make sense in the workplace and, and when you're dealing with all the things that you deal with in the marketplace. And he took these, these statements in 1 Corinthians 13 verses 4 to 7 and all the things that love is. And he wrote a book about how he's seen that, the evidence of that in, th- in that company throughout the generations for decades and what love really looks like in a business workplace. And his contention is, is that love works. And it's not just soft sentimentality, it's, a, it's accountability, and it's at times having tough love and the hard conversations. But if you truly love someone, it has very tangible expressions, and it makes sense in every context, including the workplace and a business world. And it reminds us that love is so foundational to our lives and to all that we do, and again, in this context of spiritual gifts. So what about the fruit of the Spirit? If you think about Galatians 5, 22 and 23, where Paul, in another letter to people of that city of Galatia, and he was talking about, here's what happens when the Spirit of God lives within you. He says it starts to change things within you. Things start to emerge in your life in a different way. And the fruit of the Spirit starts to emerge of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. All of these things start to emerge just like fruit emerges in an orchard. When I think of that, again, of how fruit emerges in an orchard, there's seeds that are planted, and there, are, there is soil and nutrients, and there is a structure of a tree, and there is things that are there in place in order to support it, and then there is a bud and a blossom, and eventually this small piece of fruit starts to grow and emerge. And I know for, for so many people, as they walk with Jesus Christ, and as they learn how to submit their lives, the, all of their lives, over to who Jesus is and to allow the Holy Spirit to work within them. Is that these things start to emerge in our lives and change us, all of our relationships, all of the ways that we interact in life. And the very first 
attribute, the very first one that is mentioned in the fruit of the Spirit is love. Again, so central to what the Spirit of God does within us. And I think the fruit of the Spirit is really speaking about maturity. If the spiritual gifts are about how we serve and where we serve and and what those gifts are that God has given us, the fruit of the Spirit is really speaking about the, the maturity that God is wanting to do within us and how the Spirit of God works in us and changes us. And then there's this next section uh, in verses 8 to 12 in chapter 13. We won't go through all of it, but Paul, he speaks about how, you know, prophecy and speaking in unknown languages, special knowledge will become useless. Love will last forever. He says some of these things will fade away. They are incomplete. Um, And he says that when full understanding comes, these partial things will become useless. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now we see things imperfectly as a cloudy mirror, but then we'll see everything with perfect clarity. We only know things now partially and incompletely. So Paul here, he's speaking to this truth that there will be a day when Jesus Christ returns, when he will bring all things to completion, that these spiritual gifts that have been given there for the church will not be necessary anymore. Imperfect provisions for an imperfect world Rendered unnecessary when perfection comes. The very beginning of 1 Corinthians in chapter 1, if you look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 4 to 7, Paul, he's already kind of alluding to this and referring to this idea. As he's speaking to this church and about the gifts that they've been given and about Jesus Christ's return. And he says, I always thank my God for you and for the gracious gifts that he has given you. And now that you belong to Christ Jesus... And through him, God has enriched your church in every way with all of your eloquent words and all of your knowledge. And this confirms, um, this confirms that, I, that what I told you about Christ is true. Now you have every spiritual gift you need as you eagerly wait for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. So there Paul is stating that right at the beginning of his letter. He says, you have every gift that you need to be the church until Jesus Christ returns. And then he picks up on that here again in chapter 13. Then he ends with that last verse, the well-known one where he says, three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. And again, there's probably about three or four different places, and we don't have time to look at all of those today, where Paul picks up on this triad of faith, hope, and love, faith, hope, and love, and he talks about them often in his different letters and in different ways, but he says these three things will last forever, and he says the greatest of these is love. Again, it's the very essence and the very core of who God is. As we are called to imitate Jesus Christ, he says we need to understand that love is so central, so foundational to all of these things. As we uh, draw to a close, I want you to turn to another letter, 1 John chapter 4, and I want you to look at another piece here where John is writing and he's talking also about love. I said at the beginning that, you know, 1 Corinthians 13 is often referred to as the love chapter. And in those 13 verses, it makes reference to the word love nine times. And so it's pretty dominant throughout that text. You go to 1 Corinthians, or sorry, 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 21, just in that section, those 15 verses, the word love emerges 28 times. 28 times. I think this is, this is the true love chapter. It's 1 John chapter 4. 
as this idea of love and what it is and where it comes from comes through again and again and again and how we live in response to that. Let me read just part of it in in verses 9 to 12. He says this, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and he sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God. But if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. What an amazing text. And it goes on and on and it talks about, you know, how is it that you're able to love a Christian brother or sister unless you understand this truth of the gospel? You've got to understand God's love for you and that he sent his son Jesus into this world to die for you so that you could be free from sin, so that you could be redeemed. Your life has been bought back, paid for with a price. And it's when you understand that truth, when you understand that gospel, that you can only then actually really start to love other people. And it's out of that receiving, knowing, and understanding of the love of God that you are able to actually love your fellow brothers and sisters. And here in this context, John is speaking about in the context of the church. Because sometimes he says, you know, those are the people that are the hardest to love. And just like Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 13, if you want to use your spiritual gifts and be body parts in the, in the body of Christ, you need to love each other sacrificially, putting others first, selflessly, all the time. But here in this text in 1 John, he points to this truth of how God is the God who initiates, the one who goes first, the one who sacrifices, and the one who redeems. And this is the love that transforms us. This is the love that we are to model in the church. This is the love that is foundational to the spiritual gifts in whatever way that we use them. So I hope that today we have redeemed, even in part, in a small measure, this word that we know as love. And that we would understand how love works in our relationships with whatever they are how love works when it comes to spiritual gifts and being body parts in the body of Christ. And how the fruit of the Spirit in our lives really just starts to reveal maturity that is there as God wants to grow us up. So again, if you have questions, even today, and as I said, we'll try to get to some of them at the end, if you want to text them to that number that is on the screen, you can text those and we'll we'll try to address those at some point today or this week. On our website, you'll also see if you go... Uh, to the hub on our website under serving. You'll see over about 20 different serving opportunities. Practical, tangible places that you can serve and be a part of the body of Christ in different ways. And there'll be more coming on there all the time. You can talk to any one of our staff or lay leaders in our church, people who are serving in different capacities. There's always places that we can serve and to use our gifts, discover our gifts. And one of the convictions that we have is that, that we need to serve in community, that we need to serve in teams together with other people, just like Paul is talking about throughout all of these teachings that we've been going through in this series that that we only do this in community. You can't use your gifts or discover your gifts in isolation. And so we, even as we have people serve in the church, we we try to always put people together in teams that you're part of something bigger, working together with people who have different gifts than you, other gifts than you. And again, as I said, I think way back at the beginning of the series, one of the best places, one of the best contexts to discover and to use and to grow in your spiritual gifts is in a small group setting. And I really believe that if all of our small groups 
become this place that it's like an incubator. It's like a place to test and to grow and to, to serve and to use your gifts. Our small groups are not meant to be just passive places of receiving. They are to be places of serving and giving and growing and sharing together. And all of a sudden you'll have people who have passions for things that are different than you. And all of a sudden you'll want to be serving somewhere, going somewhere, giving somewhere, being involved in this, whatever the case may be. But if our small groups are understanding this and growing in this, where they are a context to use our spiritual gifts and to do so all on the foundation of love, it will transform and change our small groups in the church. That's what we need, to be involved in that way in the body, not passively, but actively using our gifts together. Would you join with me as I pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the Lord who knows us, who understands us, who created us. And God, I pray for each one of us here that we would embrace this gospel truth, that you are the God who loved us so much that you sent your one and only Son to redeem us, to buy us back, to free us from our sin, and to make us in right relationship with you. God, would we understand that more deeply today? Would we embrace that and receive that truth today? God, you've paid a high price on the cross. And Father, I pray that for each one of us, even if that's a message that we have known for years and that we have uh, agreed to and received years ago, Lord, that we would understand that it is out of that love that we have any ability to give anything to anyone else. It's out of that love that we have any ability to serve and to grow and to use our spiritual gifts. God, would you help us to be that kind of church, we pray. And Lord, may the mark of our church, more than anything else, be the love of Jesus Christ, our Lord. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. told you you had the power to give someone hope beyond their wildest dreams what if i told you it's right there in your hands in your hands it's hard to imagine how something so small can make all the difference Tear down the tallest wall What if December Looked different this year What if we all just
told you you have the power to give someone hope far beyond their wildest dreams. What if Well, that's a wonderful video. What a way to, to start this. And it actually gets me quite emotional as I see all our own kits coming up with so many of the boxes that we've packed. And it's a special Sunday. And I have Luke Banda here to help me. We're going to pray for the boxes this morning and all the children we're going to pray together. And, you know, I just want to say that this is just a, such an amazing thing that happens each year. And for Janet Neufeld and her team that does all the, the work that they volunteer and the hours that they put into this, it's just such... A blessing to be a part of something so incredible and you know Luke I asked you this morning that how do you think those kids feel across the world when they get one of those boxes and what did you say to me this morning that um, they will be um, excited and stuff yeah excited we said they would just be so excited and we said we were gonna pray something special this morning do you remember what we were gonna pray for this morning that how would the kids that they would, um, that God would love them. Yeah, that's what we're going to pray, that as they open the boxes, that they would know that God loved them. And we pray that these boxes are going to open up um, opportunities and borders just because of the love that goes with them for Christ's love to be shared. So, boys and girls, what we're going to do, for those young ones, you can stay seated where you are, but for those that are older in grade 1 to 6, you know what, you can go right to the boxes and you can put your hand on the boxes. For those of you that are older... You can stand up and put your hand in the boxes because we're going to pray a prayer for these boxes. We don't know where they're going, but God does. He knows each little boy and girl that's going to get one of those boxes that you have your hand on right now. So once you've done that, if you could, boys and girls, if you could um, now listen as we pray together. You can close your eyes if you want. And we're going to pray for this special morning and these boxes that are going across the world to special boys and girls just like you. Dear God, thank you for this special day. Thank you for that, we lo that you love us. And 
thank you for all the boys and girls that uh, across the world. I pray that when they open these boxes, they will know that you love them. Help us to continue to pray for them always. Thank you for all the volunteers and bless them. Pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Luke. Thank you, boys and girls. Now, parents, we're going to just ask that you come up and pick your children up at the front. For those of you that have a tag, just bring your tag with you. So if you can make your way up to the front here to pick your children up, that would be great. And we ask that you continue to pray for these boxes as they go out, for the children that open them, that they would sense and feel God, God's love. Thanks, Maureen. We've been talking this morning about love. And for the past couple of weeks, we've been talking about love. And what an incredible, tangible example we have right here in uh, sharing love with those uh, around the world, with those that um, uh, can see Jesus in this way. And uh, many of you may not know, but when a shoebox goes out, there's a booklet that goes with it in almost every country, in printed in their language, and it's a story of the gospel message. And so the children receive more than just a box, but they will actually receive a, a booklet, a story of the gospel message with that. As the children start to, to find their ways back, I will invite the ushers forward in just a moment. And as we sing this next song and reflecting on the incredible love of our God, of our Savior, uh, I'll invite them forward to receive the offering. <clears throat> Oh, there is love, there is love, there is love, there is love. When our hope is hard to find and our faith is in decline, we need a cause. To stand behind love We all want the way it feels Time it comes and time it steals What remains and what is real There is love, there is forgiveness there is love in times of need. When life is cold, there is a promise. You will never go without. There is love. There is love. It heals the sick, comforts the weak. It breaks the proud, raises the meek. In this life, no guarantees, but there is love. There is love, there is forgiveness. There is love in times of need. When life is cold, there is a promise. You will never go 
welcoming into our church through baptism and membership this morning. Um, baptism is an external symbol of what's going on inside of us. When we come into relationship with Jesus and the Holy Spirit begins to transform us to become more like him. Um, it is a sign of the death to our old self and the coming to, to new life as we go into the water and come up out of the water. And uh, it is a moment where we unite with Christ in a very significant and almost supernatural way. Um, because it is something that Jesus modeled to us, but also it's something that he asks of us. And he, uh, he says, if you believe, then be baptized and go and baptize the nations. Um, call others to declare and respond in obedience to, um, to this thing that he, he's shown us. Um, here at Forest Grove, in the Mennonite Brethren Conference, we partner baptism and membership together as a way of saying that you're not only declaring your faith in Jesus, but you're also being received by a community. You're declaring it to someone. And you're saying, um, I want to follow Jesus for the rest of my life, and I want your help. But you're also saying, I want to be able to help you as you do the same. And there's this sense of declaring that you, you desire to be used to have the church build you up and to be someone who builds up the church. And um, as we've been talking in this last series about using our spiritual gifts, the gifts that we are given when we come into um, a relationship with Jesus, it's so cool to see the way that, um, that membership kind of brings that into maybe a little bit of a structure or accountability. Um, you don't need to be a member to use your gifts 
to build up the church, that is the people who know and love Jesus. But yet, when you walk through that process, we have an, uh, a, a process of identifying some of those gifts and giving you the opportunity to maybe use them in a way you didn't know you had the opportunity to use them before to build one another up. A great example of that is last spring we baptized a young man named Adam, and as he shared his story of what God has done in his life, it was evident that he had a gift of being able to communicate and, and teach. Um, and I remember hearing him share and thinking, I would love to have him use that gift in our youth group. And this past Tuesday, he was able to do that for the first time, share that gift that God has given him to build up the church around him. And it was a beautiful picture of um, the way that we are a part of the body, but also how walking through the baptism and membership process can be a part of that. Today we have uh, three people who will be joining Forest Grove Community Church, one through baptism and two through uh, membership transfer, um, but all of them with stories of a life transformed by Jesus. And so I would love to welcome my friend Kylie up here, and she's going to share her story with you. I am so thankful for the stand so that no one can see me shaking. Um, <laughs> This is the second time that I'm going to be sharing my testimony to a large group in the past two months, and I've never felt so blessed. My name is Kylie Phillips, and I tend to define myself as a new Christian. I grew up in Ontario and moved to Saskatchewan in 2011. (laughs) Growing up, my family were not involved in any religious practices. I was always encouraged to have my own beliefs, whatever they may be. As a kid, I felt like I was constantly setting the bar way too high for myself and never felt like I was good enough. My pessimistic personality was practically begging for Jesus to guide me down a better path. So my journey through Christianity truly begins in March of 2013. My mom and dad went on a vacation to Las Vegas, and I lived with my best friend Callie and her family. It was quite a different environment for me to be launched into, as her family is full of faith. They introduced me into saying grace at dinner and reading the Daily Bread, which is a daily devotional. On the Tuesday, Callie brought me here to Grove Youth Senior High. Not only did I feel more welcome than anywhere else, but I got to meet Chandra for the first time. And let me just say what a lady she is. Chandra has become someone that not only I look up to, but also one of my best friends. When my parents returned from Las Vegas, I began to go through some extremely tough times. I began experiencing anxiety and panic attacks and also went through a very teenage, tough breakup and relationship. Callie had recently given me my very own Bible for Easter and I had it sitting on my coffee table, not yet touched or opened. The next morning, I wasn't doing particularly well emotionally. I walked into my living room, and there was a page of my untouched Bible that had been doggy-eared. Um, it was bookmarked on Romans 12, 9 to 21, and I just want to say I did not plan for Bruce to read that today, so that was kind of awesome, and I may have shed some tears already. Um, If you are familiar with that verse, you know that it is one that was parallel with the problems that were going on in my life at this time, and it talked about sharing love with people who you may not feel necessarily want to give it to. This was the first miracle that he performed in my life, and I immediately became involved in the church. Last year at senior high, we had a theme called I Am, and one of the installments was based on our belief of I am not good enough. It was a very relatable and emotional night for me, and I remember Callie and I immediately needing to pray together in her car. We were both so moved by this night, and this was the day that I realized I needed to turn turn around my life and find my identity in Jesus Christ. God has helped me to become a more optimistic, less judgmental person. I have become more forgiving and more confident in just being myself, which is a lot harder than you would think going through high school. The past year, God has been telling me to serve the church, 
I've helped run Grove summer youth fun camps and have recently been involved in worship at junior and senior high. I recently applied for a short-term mission trip in the city during February break called Source Saskatchewan. Um, I just want to share a verse with you guys that's become a current favorite of mine, and it's kind of really resonated with me the last couple weeks, and it's Proverbs 31.25. It says, She is clothed with strength and dignity and laughs without fear of the future. I knew that the next step in my relationship with Jesus was this baptism, and I know that it will take my journey at this church another step further. you to stand as we worship together. Let no one caught in sin remain inside the lie of inward shame, but fix our eyes upon the cross and run to him who showed great love. For us, freely you bled for us. Christ is risen from the dead, trampling over death by death. Come awake, come awake, come and rise up from the grave. Christ is risen from the dead, we are one with Come awake, come awake, come and rise up from the grave.
is risen from the dead, trampling over death by death. Come away, come away, come and rise up from the grave. Christ is risen from the dead, we are one with Him again. Come away, come away. Jesus, a story of how you acknowledged your need for him, ultimately, and how he has been saving and transforming your life day by day. And it is true. It is so cool to see the way that I partnered with wanting to know Jesus was your desire to serve the church and using your gifts in, in music and uh, even starting a Bible study at your high school, just this desire that you see now, uh, that you have now for the world to know Jesus. It is so cool that that's just activated immediately, and I pray that that continues to to bless and change us, and that we may also continue in that transformation process in your life as well. So Kylie, because of the story that you shared with us, your love of Jesus and the work he's done in your life, we baptize you this morning in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Oh, 
Kevin, I'm part of the pastoral staff here, and uh, we have a couple other people that uh, want to public, publicly uh, commit themselves to our church and the direction that we're going and uh, become members. And uh, so this is Marv and Mary Harder, and uh, they are going to share their stories uh, with us here as well. I'm used to speaking in a crowd of inmates, so we'll have to pretend. Kevin's cut me down so much, I don't know what I'm going to say. I grew up in a large Christian family in the Hague area. At age 21, I gave my life to Christ. Shortly after that, in 1969, Mary and I were married and baptized at that time, too. A few years after we married, I started a business building homes, and some of you might know that, harder homes. Then in the early 80s, we lost everything due to developer going bankrupt on us. I dealt with a lot of anger and bitterness during that time. I came to the point when God convicted me that I needed to forgive not only the people who had hurt me financially, but also the bitterness I had towards my own father. It was also during this time that we had started working with an inmate at the Prince Albert Penitentiary. In 1983, we felt God leading us into full-time prison ministry as Western Canada's regional director with Gospel Echoes Prison Ministry. God blessed our efforts. He used the anger, the struggle, and the forgiveness in relating to these men and women in prison. And he also taught me how to be real, to be honest, and share what I will share later. As the years went by, the job required a lot of travel across Western Canada and the U.S. The traveling was stressful and demanding, often away for a week or two at a time by myself. I had been struggling with depression that only got worse. I struggled with depression to the point that I started drinking. I then resigned from the ministry in 2001 after 20 years of service. In 2003, I had an accident and was laid up for nine months. My depression only got worse. For almost 10 of the last 20 years we've attended this church, I have struggled with deep depression. I remember many Sundays sitting here in this church, crying out to God, why am I hurting so much? How can, I, how can people around me not see that, how I feel? I was too proud and arrogant to seek, seek help. I shared with Pastor Bruce in some emails, and I was so encouraged the way he would email me back and, and encourage me. There was no condemnation. But I still didn't want to reach out for fear of being hurt again. I had seen how many people struggling with depression had been hurt. Oh, this part is hard. Uh, Almost, <clears throat> almost three years, <clears throat> probably the most difficult day in my life, I had to defend myself in a lawsuit. God allowed something to happen to, to me that shook my life. The alcohol I had had earlier that day was still in my system. Mary had picked me up before court, and then after court, she dropped me off at my vehicle, and we drove straight home. I was stopped close to home and went, lost my license for one year. I was totally devastated. The shame I faced was almost too much. 
Mary and each of my three married children and their spouses rallied around me. They forgave me. And I'm so thankful that most of my family is here today. In my depression, I emerged myself, immersed myself in reading the Bible. Every spare minute I read and cried out to God. The more I read, the more I felt his presence. The joy I had once had in my walk with Christ returned. And somehow I got stuck in Romans 8 as if I had never read it before, but especially verse 11. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. There's a song that some of us have heard in the Gaither group that says, I can't even walk without you holding my hand. That's how I feel. I'm so dependent on the Holy Spirit. And I think maybe in those years that I became so depressed is, is the problem. I was relying too much on my own strength. And I had lost focus of what it was all about. Why am I sharing these details? I didn't want to share this, but I was encouraged to do so. I know from experience that many people in churches today are hurting with depression. I hope that in sharing my story, other people will find that there is hope. By becoming a member, I am committing myself to not only to receive, but to give, to recognize that this is my church family. I love this church, and I love our staff. We have a great bunch of pastors. Thank you. God bless me with loving parents who taught me about the love of Jesus. I'm the youngest of six children. I was born in Carrot River. I grew up on a farm at Patagon. At a revival meeting at the age of eight, God spoke to my heart. I realized Jesus died for my sins, rose, and had created a place in heaven for me. I was picked on in school because of my faith in God, so I didn't have many friends. When we are taken through trials, God gets our attention. About 15 years into our marriage, Marv and I went through some very difficult personal trials. Our three children were young at the time, and it was very difficult for all of us. God had other plans for us. A few years later, we were introduced to the Gospel Echoes and asked to join the prison ministry. We have had so many blessings seeing souls come to, come to the Lord in the 20 years we were in the ministry. I thank the Lord for mentors he has placed in my life. My sister is one of my mentors and has had a very positive influence in my life. We pray together and encourage each other through life's struggles. I am very grateful for these times. Isaiah 23, 6 says, You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. I thank the Lord for peace in my heart when the world around me is in a mess. God is changing my thinking. Why do I want so many things and pleasures in this, in this life when, all, when the only thing that matters is what I do for Jesus. Something the Holy Spirit spoke to me about is, am I setting a good example for my children and grandchildren and friends? I can't take anything with me when I go to heaven. All that matters are the souls of the people that have accepted him and been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. 
Christ came to bring hope and healing to those who are hurting. There are so many people hurting around us. I'm learning to let God fight my battles and heal my hurts. I want less of me and more of Jesus in my life. It's very important to me to have a church family and to become a member of Forest Grove Church. I need to be accountable in what I do and believe the church family will help me to do this. I want to be able to use my gifts to serve and encourage others. Thank you for allowing me to share this morning. Thank you uh, so much, Marvin, Mary, and also Kylie. Uh, Mary, great things come from Care River, Saskatchewan, right? Yeah, that's a good part of the world. Um, I want to just uh, touch on a couple of things, and then we're going to invite these folks back up here and welcome them into uh, membership. And uh, I want to start with just, uh, I said we'd do a, a couple of questions here. I'm going to just answer two. Thank you. I've had a number of responses. I'm just going to respond to the, the first two that I got, just in fairness, and because of our time here today, and the others will... We'll try to respond this week, as I said, on, on sp- Facebook. I Bruce, what should someone do if they have a gift passion for a particular ministry that doesn't seem to ag- exist within our church? Which is, again, a really good question. I guess a, a few things I would say about that. Um, as uh, staff, we try to facilitate different ministries wherever possible. But one thing that's interesting is that gifts and passions are slightly different things. Passions often point us to things uh, of how we use our gifts in a particular way. And so passions obviously often come in, in very particular ministries. And so as a church, you can't offer ministries in every single specific area. But what I would say is that there is not uh, any gift within this church that it can't be used in some either current ministry uh, in some way. It might just not be in a particular way that a person maybe would want to use it in the passion. But again, as I said, where we can, we try to facilitate that. So even as we've had people come to us and try to connect them with other people of similar passions where they can use their gifts. We try to facilitate that uh, where they can. Uh, last question that I'll just do for this morning because of our time. Uh, well, actually, it's two questions. What was the name of the person re- referenced regarding love in the workplace? Uh, the name of the book, uh, the author was Joel Manby. Manby. Uh, it was called Love Works. Uh, how do I help my teen discover her spiritual gifts? Uh, great question. Um, I would reference back a few weeks ago when we talked about uh, just some practical steps of discovering spiritual gifts, one of the first things we said is just start serving. Just, just start serving and just try different things. Secondly, just between you and God and Scripture, just, just discerning yourself, getting into the Word of God and these texts that we've been talking about and, and discovering what the Word of God says because God knows you better than anyone else so through prayer and through journaling. Uh, thirdly, we talked about there are some resources. Even on our website, we have some of those, some resources that you can use to help you find that. And then fourthly, discerning community. Whether it's in a small group, whether it's in your family, whether it's with others, discerning in the body is so helpful uh, for that. And I think when it comes to teenagers especially, more than anything else is just talk to them and listen. And uh, to have conversations where there's open communication. And and oftentimes as parents, uh, guilty, we like to say things to our teenagers instead of asking good questions to understand where they're coming from. I do that a lot. And like the wrong side, I mean. So I think just for us to be able to ask good questions and really listen to them and understand their hearts. And we, Lisa and I have even found with, with our teens, 
is they'll step into some things that we go, that doesn't seem to make sense or line up, and they're just trying something, and all of a sudden they discover new passions and gifts that we go, wow, never would have thought that. And so those would be just a few responses that I would uh, give. Uh, You can continue to send some if you'd like to in the next couple of days. We'll try to respond. Uh, I think this phone will blow up at the end of the week. It's not my phone, so, but anyways, we'll use it for a few days, and you can continue to do that. Um, At the end of the service here, when we are done... Uh, I would ask, and we've done this every year, if there are some of you who have the gift of helps and strong muscles. Okay, you don't need strong muscles. Um, But what we need is all of these boxes that are up here uh, to be taken out into the foyer. And so we want to have just this holy procession of going out there. The ones that are down here don't need to do. Uh, Those can be left, but the ones up here do need to come down uh, today. And so if you are able to help at the end of the service, that would be really helpful. What I would suggest is that we take them and head down this aisle... Uh, so if you're going out with boxes, go down this aisle and then come in different ways, whatever works best. But let's head out that way just to have some semblance of order, and that would be really good. Uh, one other thing I'll just say about the Samaritan's uh, first shoe boxes is, and I know that she will hate this, but Janet Neufeld uh, has been doing this for about 20 years, and this is her last year organizing this. And what a huge uh, commitment and uh, involvement. And can we just say thank you to Janet? I want to invite uh, Marvin, Mary, uh, Kevin, Chandra, Kylie, would you come up? And we just want to share some uh, scripture verses with you and uh, give you just a certificate and bless you. Thank you so much uh, to each of you for sharing your stories. What I love, and in these next couple of months, we're going to be hearing a lot of stories. And I think we have about 20 people who are going to be sharing at different times. It's incredible. And to see the different ages, different life experiences, different ways that God meets us and reveals himself to us. So encouraging and so exciting. And how God speaks differently and brings us through different life experiences uh, in order to reveal himself and for his glory. And also to change us. Uh, And all of you, each of you, thank you for all three of you for sharing openly, vulnerably, passionately the difference that Christ makes in your life. Uh, What a gift for us as a church. And so thank you so much. We have a scripture uh, verse, and uh, I think Kevin has the cards there that we'll give you, Marv. Uh, Romans 8, 11, The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give, you, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. I know that verse is very significant in your life. Welcome to uh, Forest Grove Community Church. Mary, uh, James 1, verses 2 to 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you... Meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So God bless you as you continue to walk out your faith in our midst. You're going to be able to clap for them right away. Hold on, one more. This way. Kylie, Romans 15, 13. Uh, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. And then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. God bless you as you also join in the life of our church. Can we just uh, give glory to God for